0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28. We were there last week. Uh, we got about halfway through uh, last week. What we uh, basically were saying, why do we do what we do? Why Why do we as a church do the things that we do? And Last week, we began to look that the foundation of the answer to that question can be found in Matthew 28. And in those verses that we find in Matthew 28:18 through 20, it, we call it the Great Commission. We call it God's calling and His purpose for the church. And And if you were here last week, we talked about how it really is relevant on three different levels. There's this ultra macro level that he's called all of Christianity, that is every assembled person in the body of Christ. He's called us to this as the bride of Christ. This is who we're called to be and to follow this, this purpose, this calling on our life. But we also see that all the way down into the micro, that is, Bobby Linkus, you, if you are one who has placed your trust for your salvation in Christ Jesus and his work, this is God's call upon you. And there in the middle between this universal call to the body of Christ to this private and personal call is the local church. And so it's really kind of, as I said last week, to me, it's uh, miraculous, it's beautiful that God has called us on these different levels to this one calling, this great commission, and we get to accomplish this in such a macro level, and we get to accomplish it in such a micro level as you and I going out and living our lives. But one of the things that we see there is that we get to do this together as a body of believers in the local church. And last week we began to share that out of this calling, this foundational calling that we find in the Great Commission, we, each church has to kind of decide, okay, how are we going to accomplish this? And to me, again, that's the uniqueness that one church may be really, really big and they say, okay, this is what God has called us to do. Others may be a smaller church, even smaller than ours. And so this is what God has called us to. And so last week we began to, to look at five things that we believe that Cornerstone has been called to based on this foundational call of the Great Commission. Let's go to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of the last words of Christ. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we said that it would be very much worth our time and our efforts to, to go word by word. And, and yet the purpose that we're looking at that foundational call, this great commission is how do we live this out? If it is the kind of this universal call to, to all Christianity, if it is this personal call to you and me, if we're in Christ, how do we do that? And then how do we do that as a local church? And so we begin to look at how to, uh, really the thrust of it is go therefore and make disciples. How do we do that? And every local church, no matter the size, no matter the kind of the background, has to kind of figure out how are we best to do this as God has called us as a church to do that. And the really cool thing to me is that every church is going to do that a little bit differently what if every church was generic? Well, What if no matter which church you walked into, it was exactly the same? In one way, there would be a comfort in that, I guess, because you would know exactly what to expect. And yet there's kind of um, almost a a little bit of a, a challenge there when we see a church and we say, okay, I'll drop in there on Sunday. And we go, and we don't know what to expect. Every church, if they truly are seeking what God has called them to do, is going to live this out a little bit differently. It doesn't change the call upon our life, but just kind of you know how we think that God has called us to do this. And so last week, we began to look at five things that we feel that Cornerstone Church has been called to do or to highly value in serving this call upon our lives as a corporate body. Now, I want to remind you, that, and in case you weren't here last week, but remind you if you were, that these five things, we're not saying that we're the only ones who value these things. We're not saying that, hey, we're the only church that puts value on this or that. We're not saying that we do them better than others. We're not even saying that we do them good or well. What we're saying is this is really what we believe that God has called for us to have as part of our DNA, if you want to say, for Cornerstone Church. These are things that we really believe that in accomplishing this Great Commission call on our lives, these are five things that we feel like God has really, really called us to do and to specialize in or to emphasize and put great value in. Last week we went over the first two. Let me quickly, just in review for those that were here, and, and to uh, to lay a foundation for those who were not, those first two. The first one, expository preaching. Now, again, let me remind you that these are not like in an order. Like, number one is not the most important. And fifth is like, uh oh, we'll just throw that one in there. Now, all five of these are kind of have equal balance. But this first one to me is really, really, really important. And last week we talked a lot about the uh, purpose of expository uh, preaching, that we go straight from the word most of the time. We're going to be doing book studies and we're going to take a book of the Bible and we're going to go verse by verse, kind of, you know, chapter by chapter through them. Uh, this is different. If you're here for the first time today, this more topical of why we do what we do is really out of the norm for us because most of the time we're just in the book of the Bible. Now, why do we do that? I truly believe that in our human nature, we have this bent in making a God of our own mind and our own design. But you have a God who you say, okay, you know what, well, my God would do this or is like that. Folks, we ever need to be going back to the word of God as God would describe himself. Whether that's a description of God in him and who he is, whether that's a descriptions about ourselves. Because in our own minds, isn't there a part of your human nature that says that you're a pretty good person? How many of you have a part of your human nature that says that? And especially as you were looking in the world that you would kind of say, okay, in comparison to a lot of other people that I know, I'm a pretty good person. And so our mind, kind of our human nature, kind of lends that way. And then we go to the God's word and it says, there's none good. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That even our best things, the best things that we've done are like a filthy rag before a righteous and holy God. Well, I'm not saying that we just go, oh man, that's endearing to me. But don't you want to know the truth? And we're going to get the truth when we go to God's word and let it speak for itself. And so that was one of the ones that we talked about last week was just the importance of expository preaching. The other one is doing life together. And that's the one that, you know, we said because of COVID, it's been really kind of challenging these last couple years to, to do life as we would want to do life together, whether that's life groups, whether that's just get togethers and things like that. It's been quite challenging over the last two years. But we talked about, does anybody remember, Eric aced this one last week, how many uh, one another's are in the New Testament? 100, 100 yeah. And uh, so there's a 100 there uh, in 94 different verses. Love one another, serve one another, tolerate one another. It's actually in the Bible, tolerate, bear with one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, speak truth to one another. In other words, God does not want us to live the Christian life on an isolated island all by yourself. He truly wants us to uh, be together and to do life together. And so we looked at that. Now, let's go to number three, four, and five today. And go to scripture and, and ground this in scripture. So that we can kind of tell that this isn't just something that we kind of like. Third one. Intentional intergenerational relationships. That's not just multi-generational. If you have a church and you have nursery all the way up to 80s and 90s, you could have a multi-generational church. And that would be a little bit different from an intentional intergenerational church. I would use multi-generational and intergenerational in two different ways. One is you have the ability. The other one, you have the intention. And it is our purpose here to be truly intentional about having intergenerational relationships. There's been times that I think that we do that really well, and I think that we've really incorporated some of the olders all the way to the younger and all the way in between. There's other times I'm going, man, there's so much room left to do this here. But one of the advantages that we have as a smaller church, we're not a tiny church, but we're a smaller church, is that we really can see the flavor of what God intended here. In Titus chapter 2, to give you kind of a background, Paul has three uh, what we call pastoral epistles, letters two uh, to Timothy and, and, and this one in Titus, he instructs the church and pastors about, okay, here's how you kind of lead a church. Here's how you do church. Here are some really important things that you need to make sure are happening in your church. And then in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, look what it says. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And then he goes on in verse 3 and 4 and talks about the ladies in and, and like mind. That, that we, as older ones, should be teaching younger ones. That this should be something that not only is part of God's design, but it should be something that, that the church would embrace. And one thing that I've really just... Uh, let me give you an encouragement is that as we put out these different ministries, as we've tried to stress that and and really encourage that, you really have been open, open, and and your receptiveness toward that. See, here's one of the dangers of what we can do in church, and and we certainly kind of fall into this a little bit here at CS. Um, You come in the door, and we separate you. Okay, younger ones here. Okay, a little bit older there. Then, you know, you kind of all go to your corner. And I'm not saying that there's not a time, like, for example, for Jeff to be teaching younger ones uh, about the beauty of the gospel on a children's level this morning. That's really wonderful and great. Not opposed to having age-graded things. But one of the things that we see in the New Testament church is that you, you really didn't have division, but you had a unity. They came in. One of the things that I really would desire is that for you, if you're a parent, for example, to consider more and more and more as your kids would mature and grow, It's to come into worship. Well, what age do you think is appropriate? Whatever age you feel appropriate having your children by your side. I, I wouldn't think 21 or 22 should be that limit. I think that be younger than that, but I really do think that there's something about being the collective body of Christ that we really do benefit from. And so part of our DNA here at CS is that we want to live this out. Um, as, as he says here, one of the most important words I, I see in Titus two is that last one. Older men be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And if you've been around CS for a while, you, you've heard me say this before. But I'll say it again this morning because I think it's so important. And I've actually used Q as an example. When, when Q would say, man, I, I've lived all these years. How old are you now, Q? 19. I've lived these 19 years, and I've found my God to be faithful. Man, that registers with me, brother. But then Mr. Joe says, Mr. Joe, wait, 80, 80, okay? Mr. Joe says, I've served God all these years and I've found him to be faithful. And no way, Q, does that discount you as a 19-year-old going, man, in, in this world that is so fallen, Here's where I found my rock in Jesus Christ. I mean, that ministers to me. At the same time, when I hear somebody who's older, who truly has been through all these different punches and has the battle scars, I'm going, wow, these minister to me. That God is, is truly ministering to this young man, but even this older man that has all the battle scars. Have you ever seen like some older animals maybe and they have battle scars from the years? If you go out there, if you've ever followed sharks or shark week or anything like that, you get this old shark and it's, I mean, it's just all torn up. But it's still a shark, okay? But man, every one of those scars are like battles and different things. But he's persevered. There's a steadfastness. What a beautiful thing God is inviting us to. That in just separating out among the ages, that, so okay, your age, you go this way. That age, you go over here that we could sit around a table like tonight, that we could sit around the, the table of men and have men there from 19 to 80? Years ago, I, I, I led a, a discipleship with some men on Friday mornings uh, at Cracker Barrel. And it was very spiritual because it was at Cracker Barrel. And uh, we had great food, but we would study together. And it didn't dawn us, we had probably been meeting for about two years every Friday and these guys showing up, and we were sitting around one day, and then we discovered, as we just kind of, it hit us, that we had somebody from the 20s, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Mr. Hank was representing the 80s. You're not going to get that anywhere else, guys. The kind of wisdom that was there, the kind of beauty of people coming in, even though they're generations apart. And that's why God tells us. And, and Paul, when he was writing to Timothy in another pastoral uh, epistle, in 1 Timothy 4.12, l- look what he says. Not only did he say, okay, the older ones, give them respect and, and learn from them and their maturity. But look what he says. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. What do you say? There is beauty in these young Christians that are walking their first steps in Jesus Christ. There's beauty with this one who has been steadfast and has the battle wounds. But the most beautiful part is that they do it together in the body of Christ. How many of you have a a grandmother that's been praying for you and has just faithfully prayed for you over the years? How many of y'all had a grandmother like that? How many of you did not? And yet we can live. We can come together in a local church and we can have about 14 grandmothers if we want. And We can have about 14. I mean, Carly and I, well, one of our life groups is, is the young marrieds. And, and we do that very selfishly. We do that very selfishly because we love those young couples. And just, they're a blessing to us as we see them grow and mature just to, you know, as they can look at our battle scars over the years and say, okay, don't do that. Don't be like Bobby, okay? (laughs) That we learn from one another. Guys, that's one of the most beautiful things. The Bible is full of these intergenerational relationships. You think of Naomi and Ruth. You think of Elijah and Elisha, Moses and, and, and Joshua, Paul and Timothy, this is the model before us. But don't think that it will happen without purpose. Just because you meet together on a campus together doesn't mean that that will do that. that it just happens. Is there a little bit of intimidation? I'm talking to uh, the 60 and older crowd. Is there a little bit of intimidation to go and approach sometimes a, a younger Christian in their teens or 20s? For those of the Christians that are in their teens, 20s, or early 30s, is there sometimes a little bit of intimidation of maybe going and approaching somebody who's in their 70s or 80s or 60s? Yeah. Yeah. And yet in the beauty of the church, yet in the beauty of the church, that we take that vulnerability and we begin to learn and grow from one another. What an amazing thing God has done here. So many obstacles in the way, our own pride, our own comfort, our own culture. And so that's why we desire these relationships at CS. Part of my biggest heartbreak and greatest joys over the last 37 years as a pastor is to to see people that are so, I mean, they're just great people in Jesus Christ and they don't get to learn from one another. Fourth thing. A congregation reflecting every nation and every tribe. Maybe when you first hear that, you think of Revelation. And in Revelation, in chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it talks about how one day, in part of that revelation that God gave to to John, that as we see heaven and we see the kingdom of God, he said this, we really have a, a kind of an American Christianity bubble. And it's one of those things we kind of think that Christianity, a lot of times in American terms, kind of, in, in kind of we're kind of sheltered by that. If you've ever gone on mission trips or abroad, if you've lived abroad, or you're from another uh, area of the world, you can kind of notice that. But sometimes in our little bubble, we don't notice this about how big God is. And how there are Christians throughout this world in every tribe and every nation that God has called together. And so certainly this scripture is telling of that. But it does have a local church application. I'm a firm believer that the local church, as best as it can, organically, not forced, organically, should reflect every nation and every tribe. Certainly you're going to live in one place where the demographics are, are greatly varied, another place where they're not really all that varied. but as much as we can that we really would represent the community around us. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. and it's not just about you know a different uh, nations and tribes, but it's about cultures and backgrounds. Please don't hear this as something funny because I'm not tr- trying to be funny here. It's Republicans and Democrats. It's conservatives and, and liberals. If they're in Christ. And immediately our mind goes, well, I don't know that that person, that one, could even be in Christ if they believe. No, this is the beauty of the miracle of the, the power of the gospel. That's because I, I have the great blessing of knowing many of you individually and kind of where you stand on some different things. Uh, sometimes you make your comments quite freely. It's amazing to me that we can assemble together here and that we could come together from a lot of different varied views of what's happening in this world and be united in Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this, guys. Where else in the world do you get that? Without Christ, where else do you get that in this world? No, we have nothing but division. And the divisions are getting wider and stronger every single day. I'm in the right. No, I'm in the right. No, this is how it should. Only in the beauty of the local church, only in the beauty of the bride of Christ, do we begin to see the miracle that began to take place in the New Testament, when people not only from different tribes and different nations, but different cultures came together and their new identity in Christ made them a body. Paul talks about this in Galatians three twenty seven and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, he said, this is for Christians. This isn't talking about just general population. These are the people that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, what is he saying about these people? Verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. I ventured this morning that we cannot even grasp how drastic that was. How radical that was for Paul to write this in that day and time. How Paul, I promise you, got, uh, talked about quite a bit by a lot of different people going, man, you know, Jew and Greek? And yet this is the beauty of the New Testament church. That God could give us the ability to look beyond our differences and look at this thing that unifies us, Christ Jesus. It's a miracle, guys. That you would come together this morning, there, there, there may be hundreds of us here this morning. And I promise you, out of the hundred, we have some preferences. Would you agree with that? In fact, let let me give you an example. Songs. In one way, there's a way that we can solve this. When you get on the airplane, have you ever gone on the airplane and you have your own little TV? You can put your own little headset for the next three hours, four hours. You can watch whatever you want. You don't have to look at the generic movie like in the old days, that they played for everybody. And in one way, there's a temptation in the local church, guys, to be that way. Okay, it's worship time. Everybody look at your screen, pick out your three songs, put on your, you know, headset, and worship. And then when all that was done, then we'd come back together. Christ is really big, guys. And sometimes we sing a song that maybe is an older song that's maybe, you know, that you say, I, I wouldn't normally sing that song. And maybe it's because that's part of an older generation. It's something that they were familiar with. There's other times that maybe we're singing this and that. And it's just not your style. But I pray that if they're Christ-honoring, if they're biblically-centered, and if they're there, then we can unify and we can worship together. Are we not divided enough six other days of the week that on this blessing of the Sabbath that we can come together? And at least for a couple moments and at least for a short amount of time that we can come and and with all this diversity and with all these different persuasions and all these different even convictions that we could come and Christ would so identify us as a body of believers that our one thrust, our one love and our one passion is Christ and Christ alone. This would make the Father joyful. Joyful. I asked a brother in discipleship a couple of weeks ago, I said, can you even imagine if your son and your daughter, if they were at odds with one another, and they just didn't come together, and, and how that would grieve your heart as a parent? Well, she's coming at Christmas. I'm not coming at Christmas. Oh, my goodness, that would grieve your heart. My okay, guys, I'm not saying that, that we don't live in a day that we have to be very careful with our theology, that, that we have to be very careful. Uh, but there is so much division, even within the religious ranks, right now, that it hurts my heart. And I think it hurts the heart of our Father. So, how can we have a passion for truth and 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 love truth and be careful with truth and test the spirits, as the Bible says, and yet still Christ unite us? Do you think that we live in a present culture? That is more prone to unify or, or to separate. Do you count on the nature of man and the ability of man to solve that? Do you think that unity in Christ could solve that? That a Greek and a Jew? Slave and master, male, and female? Again, we we don't even understand the cultural <laughs> Opposites that he was listing there. And yet what does he say? Man, if you're in Christ, here's your identity. You're one. And and we want to reflect that. The miracle of the New Testament church is that the people from the outside saw this diversity. Not just in race and color and different things like that. They saw a lot of that. But they saw all these different people from all these different cultural mindsets and all these different things coming together and being unified in Christ. And I think that's when we begin to see the the beauty of what God was doing and intends to do. The last one here, intentional discipleship. Going back to the Great Commission, that's the driving command. He doesn't say, go and get a whole bunch of people wet. You know, baptize, you know, just kind of get them wet. No, he doesn't say, go get a whole bunch of, you know, decisions. Let like people who raise their hand, he says, no, go make disciples. In other words, people that are truly converted in their mind and their heart. They truly have placed trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Their life is beginning to be transformed by the beauty of the grace of God and the word of God and the very spirit of God. That's the call of the New Testament. And as the initial disciples went out, we begin to see that they did begin to, to, we saw this change in the world. I mean, this was the very model of Jesus Christ himself, discipleship. And really, kind of a personal discipleship. If you go back, um, you can count different ways, but for the most part, Jesus taught in masses seventeen times. He taught in personal discipleship forty-six times, just recorded in the in the in the Bible. Okay, and so he spent some time with the masses, but he spent most of the time with twelve guys. If I would have learned one thing in my ministry 37 years ago that I could have emphasized, that I've learned in the last 10 years, is the value of personal discipleship. You still are doing masses, and you know there's times that that's appropriate and good. But I promise you, I have never seen personal growth in my life than when I'm in discipleship. I don't get that by turning on my, one of my favorite. I, I love Alistair Begg, for example, and I could listen to Alistair Begg all day long, preach. And that's good. It does good value to me. I, I like that. And I'm getting good, you know, scripture. But it does not start to compare to sitting down with some of the men of our church one-on-one, iron sharpening iron. It's what God has called us to do. One of my favorite descriptions of the disciples as they go out, it's found in Acts 17. Uh, Paul and Silas are in Thessalonica, and, and many people have believed the gospel. And they begin to follow Christ, and, and the resident Jewish leadership is irate. That somehow Paul and Silas and this Christianity thing has come up and kind of upset their whole system. And so they come to attack Paul and Silas, and they go to this guy's name, uh, this house, where they were staying, Jason's house. And uh, and and so they they go there, and they try to find Paul and Silas, but they've already gone. But they take Jason out. And so, okay, well, since Paul and Silas aren't here, we're going to put this all on you. But why are they so upset? Because something was happening in the churches that was changing the world around them. What was it? Acts 17.6. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city's authorities, shouting. Now, what are they shouting? Please hear this. These men who have turned the world upside down. He's talking about the disciples. And this Paul and Silas, this whole Christianity thing. Man, it's turning the world upside down. This is our call, guys. This is our call. And how do we do it? We do it corporately. We, we do it kind of as part of this big body of Christ. But I challenge you, I, I just personally have not found anything more profitable to my own fallenness and my own humanity than personal discipleship. I mean, I, I can't tell you the many days that some, oh, man, I man, I just would rather sleep this morning. And then I go in there, I get challenged with a brother. He gets challenged by the word of God and we sit there and we just go. Jake, you said something last Monday after discipleship, and it was a blessing to me, brother. Not, not hopefully not in a pride for what you said. I always feel better. I always think clearer. I, I was just, I'm just more on target after we get done being in the Word. This is discipleship. This is iron sharpening iron. This is the call of the New Testament church, guys. Doesn't mean that there's not profit here doesn't mean that there certainly will, hopefully there will be profit of the men meeting together tonight. But personal discipleship has done more to transform my thinking and my life than anything else that I have ever done. And that's why I think that really that more and more and more that we, we need to do that within the local body of Christ. And that's one of the reasons why it's one of those five things. Hey, we want to be this kind of church. This is why we do what we do. And we want to be that much more intentional about it. So those are the five things. If you're visiting with us, this is kind of what we desire to be our DNA. We're not saying that it is. We're not saying, hey, we do these things even on a a B level. This is what we aspire to do. This was what we would love for you to come and be a part of us to help us do. If you're part of CS, know that you have your individual walk with Jesus Christ. You have the micro level to, to follow this great commission and this great commandment. But understand that we want you as a part of the body of CS, if you're here, we want to encourage you in these things. And you have giftedness and you have abilities to help us do that. We really need you. God is, if God has called you here, he's purposed for you to use those callings, those giftedness as part of this. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we love you. Father, what a miracle the New Testament church is. Father, will you amaze us with that? That a hundred people could meet this morning? And really, if if we kind of measured out all of our differences and our opinions and thoughts, we would be all over the board. And yet, Father, you unite us in Jesus Christ this morning. Father, I pray that we truly would be a church that would do these things and do them well. Father, that we would, this call, this great commission that you've placed upon us, Father, that you truly would, Father, equip us, enable us, empower us to do this. So, Father, send us people with gift, your gift to us. Father, send us people that have passions that align with these things so that we truly can be the, the church that you've called us to be. We love you, Father. It's all about Christ. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it's all about Christ. So, Father, thank you for his sufficiency. Thank you for his finished work. Thank you for his calling. Thank you that he said, all authority has been given to me as I call you into this. And then he, Father, he encouraged us. He said, and I will be with you until the last days. It's all about Christ, Father. And as we would go and be a church, as we would make impact on this community, Father, let it always remain just simply all about Christ. We love you and we thank you As we pray this in his powerful name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.